Today I want to talk about um, having a stable life. Having a stable life. Uh, you know, so many times when we look at our lives, uh, you know, we can find, uh, you know, through that we condemn ourselves so many times and we don't feel that we have got this stable life, stability in our lives. Now, I want to start off by um, just mentioning things that are not stable. Uh, you know, should we, and it, 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 it's all based on what we base our life on. You know, should we base our life on the rock, Jesus Christ? You know, He doesn't move. The Bible talks about a kingdom that cannot be shaken. You know, that has been given unto us. So anything where we feel a shake, where we feel instability, is simply because our belief in our mind is not based on what is stable. You know, and we feel this emotion of instability and we find also instability in our lives. Uh, you know, so many times when we look at the fruit in our life, when the one day we can have joy, the next day we can't have joy, and that still doesn't mean that we should have a life that's not stable. Our st the stability in our life can never be based on, uh, you know, what we feel every day in the sense of, um, you know, what happens in politics, what happens in this world, and what we feel about our money and all those things. One of the most unstable things in the world is money. It's money. People make money out of the instability that there is in money. That's what the whole stock market is all about. That's what this whole investment thing with the up and down and everything is about. People are so sure that money will, uh, will be unstable, you know, unstable, that they put money on it. That is how sure you can be that you will have mixed emotions all the time. You will feel not blessed. You will feel one day it's going well with me. The next day you're not doing well. You know, so um, we cannot base uh, you know, our belief on money. Neither can we take the blessings of God. And if God... Hi there, sir. Um, you're so welcome. You know, we cannot... We cannot base our whole belief on uh, do we have a job or don't we have a job. You know, let's take Cindy and Clint for instance. If they, they didn't have a job for quite a while, now um, they could just feel, you know, where's God? And now they get a job and now they say, we got the breakthrough. So what was wrong with God? With, and that's what your subconscious mind will tell you. What was wrong with God in the time when I didn't have a job and why would He only give it now? You know, and you will feel an instability in the depth of your core. Not just a mind thing. You will doubt in your heart. It's something to, in your mind, think of two things, you know. But when your heart starts to doubt, when you doubt in your heart, when your belief becomes double-minded, you know, it's something completely different. Um, You cannot find stability in friendships. You cannot find stability in friendships. You cannot even find stability in marriage. You cannot find stability in breakthrough. Um, and the greatest instability that there is, is human effort to try and gain stability. You know, you cannot feel stable in that. You will always have this 
uh, instability, where there's mixed emotions all the time, where there's, you know, and, and where you feel that I'm never getting the breakthrough. Where is God? And you can come to a place where you doubt in the depth of your heart. The Bible says uh, in Hebrews 12 verse 28, Wherefore, we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, let us have grace, whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. So, here it comes and God gives the answer, and I'm going to use an example in the life of the Apostle Paul, on how he tapped into a secret that caused great stability in his life, doesn't matter what he was going through. Okay. The answer that, that the gospel brings is not that God will provide the earthly thing that will bring stability to your emotion. What the answer of the gospel is that God will bring who He is into your life and give birth to who and what He is into you so that He can live in you and you can experience the stability of God doesn't matter what the situation you know, when Adam sinned and Eve sinned, God didn't fall off his throne in stress. <laughs> Thinking, I never expected this. How could this ever happen? Plus, if God had not even expected it and it happened, you know, he would still find who he is in who he is. For he is, I am that I am. He is not, I am what happens. He is, what happens is who I am. And that is where He lives from. And that's what He has introduced to mankind. So that we could live by that. So, right. Um, what is unmovable is God's declaration over our life in Jesus Christ. Last night on Facebook, while I was preparing the message, you know, I just put something on Facebook there. And I said, we don't need any confirmation for our faith. The resurrection of Christ is our confirmation. That is the only confirmation. What confirms that what we believe exceeds in power when it's compared to death was the resurrection of Christ. The resurrection of Christ wherein God came and declared His power over death and declared His faithfulness towards mankind. So, the only confirmation we needed was the resurrection from the dead. If Jesus wasn't raised from the dead, we could run around, you know, all stressed out, worrying what, how will God confirm that, you know, my belief, that God can save me, that God can be good to me, that God can help me, that God can give me life, and should I die one day, that I can have the justification of life, wherein I can share in His quality of life. I'll be worried, I'll be looking at one miracle upon the next miracle, uh, healings, signs, wonders, and all those kind of things. You know, um, when I look, and, and you know, for those of you who watch via the internet, I don't want to say I'm antagonistic about certain things, um, you know, supernatural signs, wonders, and miracles, but the moment we chase after the supernatural for a confirmation to some sense and, and I want to say this last night I thought about this there's a difference between a confirmation of a truth and a proof of a truth you can you can believe something and God can confirm what you already believe you know through signs wonders miracles but then you can have 
a proof of your faith. I want to prove. I want, to, I want God to prove, you know, my righteousness. I want God to prove my divinity. I want God to prove these things. And in our subconscious mind, we start to live with this. God must bring forth some proof. There's a difference between a confirmation and a proof. When something confirms, you know, um, you can have, uh, you know, if you go into a court case, you can have something where somebody confirms what you say. That's not what, that's not what makes what you say true. Then somebody can say something and everybody says, this is a lie, and then you need a proof to prove what you say to be true. And it's seen, it is, we walk in unbelief until it's proven. Where in the gospel is the proof that we needed, that we have life and life in abundance, is the resurrection from the dead. Wherein God in human form was raised. And that's the only proof I need. Any other effort to, to have access to another truth or to bring forth another truth will be the, the, the greater effort you put into it. That is the power of death that will work in your life. I thank God for miracles. I thank God for signs and wonders. You know, I, 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 look, I look at those things and I stand in awe. You know, I look at just... I want to say there's, there's a regular flow of supernatural in my life where I look at things and realize, but this is only God. You know, and I thank God for that. Glory to God. But that is just part of my life. It serves no other purpose as maybe God provided for me or anything like that. I don't need, you know, it's wonderful if a diamond falls from the sky, you know. Well, that's wonderful. But that will prove nothing to me. It will prove nothing to me. If gold dust must fall from the sky, you know, it's not going to prove anything to me. I don't say it can't happen. It can happen. You know, what is quartals in English? Quails. Quails also fell from the sky. You know, supernaturally. When people wanted God to provide meat in the desert. You know, they wanted this supernatural sign that God... And then what did God do? God gave them what they wanted. But they had an empty soul. But they had a lot of uh, uh, food. And it caused their death. In the very same way, did God provide for them all the time? Yes, God did provide for them all the time. Will God provide for us all the time? Yes, God will provide for us all the time. We're going to look at the Apostle Paul's life here when he was going through a very hard time and, and how he conquered that. But the moment we make the provision, we give the provision a voice of proving what could only be proven in the resurrection. That day, that proof becomes poisonous. And we are chasing after things where, in we will, where the devil will keep us very, very busy. You know, I've been in Potsdam now for, um, we went, Elena and I, we went up on Thursday, <coughs> came back on Friday. I went to speak to some friends there and counsel some of the people that's been supporting us for many years. And <coughs> when I was there, I, we drove past the houses 
where we used to live. I don't know how many times we moved in pots from one house to another one because you always go for the cheapest one. You know, it's, but every time, okay, we started out with very bad and then a bit better, better, whatever. And when I drove past those places and I looked at where I stayed, uh, it, it's unbelievable, <laughs> you know, that I would live there. You know, it's, it, it, the one place is, it was actually Banana Bieskra. You know, if I look at it now, we always had so many cockroaches in that house. You couldn't get, you couldn't win them. You can't kill them. They, it's just, and then the worst of all is, we came there, they were there everywhere, and then the owner of the house said, we brought them there. <laughs> we were talking, we forgot about all that, but when we drove past the place, we were reminded of, of all these things, you know. And, um, because these different places we lived and then I drove past the one house and I remembered how they broke in and just stole all we had you know and I went onto Google Earth and uh, uh, when I came back we forgot to drive past the one place I thought it was um, demolished and they put a, a flat block of flats there but it was the house next to our ours and I could look at the one where we stayed there and I just see the, the thing is falling to pieces and we lived there and the most wonderful thing, and this is what I want to talk about, is now I live in a nice place. I don't know how it will look if I live in another place and I come back in 10 years, you know. I might not live in a nice place. I don't know. Because in all those houses, I felt it was a perfect place. It was the best place for me. And the amount of joy I had living there is what I have where I stay right now. I just felt it's the most awesome place. I couldn't see. I was blinded to the cracks in the wall. I was blinded to the cockroaches. I was blinded to all those things. It was as if I was going through it. Yes, it was there. It was not as if I can deny that it was, it was there. But it didn't bother me. There was something that was more powerful than that. Now if I look at, we were talking about the cars we've owned. You know, and um, because I had to hire one of these small, you know, when you hire a car, you get this small little thing. You know? So I got that small little car and I said, when I got there and I saw it, I said to them, just don't you have a bigger car? You know, let me get. They say, well, that's all they have at this airport. I says, okay, let me take the thing. And we were driving with this. And I said to her, man, but that, this thing can never be compared with the car I'm driving now. And then we were talking about what we were driving. And all the time when we were driving, much worse than what we've rented now, back then, we thought it's the best car. We really enjoyed that car. It was, you know, when I'm really happy with something, I evangelize. I tell people about it. You know, even if I get a, if, if, if I drink a very good wine somewhere, I want to tell everybody. It's like just the way I am, you know. If I can't keep it for myself. I want to share. And in those times when I was driving an old Audi with 420,000 kilometers on it, I couldn't understand why people would go and buy these very expensive cars, you know, where you can buy one for 14,000 rand and... It's got climate control in it. It's got the nicest ride. It's a safe car. 
and you can buy it for that cheap. The only thing, the only problem is, is that meter, what it says there. That's the only difference. And I would want everybody to understand that logic, but they wouldn't want to buy into what I tried to evangelize them to. They didn't see that logic, you know. I was thinking, this is the best. And it's been like that for many years. It hasn't always been like that. There was a time in Bible school where I, um, I was not happy with what I had. I wasn't happy. And I can remember the day, you know, when we first got our first car, you know, and it was like, this is not good, and, and I, I wasn't happy, and it, there was just something that bothered me. But there came a time when contentment settled into my life. And it was accompanied with the revelation of what grace really is. Where I needed no affirmation of what I believe. Where who He is, is my affirmation. Where a human being in the Trinity is the final voice of if what I believe is true or not. He was raised from the dead in human form. He seated at the right hand of the Father in human form. And that spirit of grace that's in heaven is in me. And that is the only confirmation I need is that He is seated there. That is all. Now, that was not just a decision of my will to, to, uh, to say, you know, He is seated in heaven, therefore, you know, I don't need anything else. What happened was, as I, were, as I was graced, and this is what it says in Hebrews, let me just read it again, Hebrews 12 verse 28, Wherefore, we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, let us have grace, whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence, and godly fear. The only way in which you can serve God is by receiving grace. That's what's written there. That's what's written there. Grace is the divine influence upon your belief system, upon how you believe, you know, unto the manifestation of that truth into your life. So, have God's influence upon your heart. The way God influences your belief is by speaking to you, by talking. And the loudest voice, I've said it so many times, is Jesus, who is the Word of God about your life. So when we hear what Jesus says in the power of His resurrection, in the power of His union with the Father, and we continually listen to that grace, we find that we come to a place where we are content. Where we are content. Contentment is the greatest power you could ever want, the greatest gift you could ever want in this world. Long-suffering is one of the best things you can ever ask God to empower you with. Because long-suffering and contentment doesn't mean I settle for death, or I settle for sickness, or I settle for disease. Or any of those things. It means I don't need the voice of healing. Or the confirmation of healing. To, ha to be added to my faith. So that I can have the emotions of God. And the passions of God born in me. I don't need that. 
I thank God for healing. Healing is there. It is for me. I expect it. But what contentment is, is I don't need external confirmation. Because of the abundance of proof, the resurrection is to my heart. That's all I need. I don't need anything else. Okay. Now, um, we're going to look at Paul there as well. So, we're receiving a new kingdom. What is the new kingdom? The new kingdom is the place where all your sins has been taken away. Where you have a seat in the Godhead. Where God smiles over your life. Where we come to the... Where we stand on the platform of innocence. Where we start our relationship at, with God at full forgiveness already. Full righteousness already. Um, wherein He will justify us unto the manifestation of His life. That's where we start. That's the unshakable, immovable kingdom because of the immortality possessed by Jesus in the Trinity on behalf of all of us. So since the kingdom we receive is not a kingdom wherein we have life by our human willpower to bring it forth, but wherein we have stability in who He is, let us have that influence us, and that's how we will have a stable life. One of the first things, one of the greatest things that should happen to every person is that he can hear the message of grace until the point of contentment. So, contentment is not a decision. Contentment is a fruit. Okay? So if you don't have it, don't kill yourself. The worst thing that you can do is to make contentment now the proof. That's now missing the whole thing again. We don't make contentment the proof. Well, if Jesus raised from the dead, then I must now be content this week. No, no, no. What I'm teaching you and what I'm sharing with you is just the natural life. The God kind of a life that manifests in relationship with Him. You know, it, there was a time in my life when I became content. It was as if I learned contentment. Content, learning contentment is experiencing grace all the time, you know, by hearing what He says, not opening my ears to anything else, and then we find the fruit of it in our lives. Amen. To a person that is content, he almost doesn't know that he's content. He just enjoys stuff. He's happy, you know, with what he has and where he is at. Um, <clears throat> Philippians 4.10 But I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at the last your care for me has flourished again wherein you were also careful but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in respect of want for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. Now let me explain this. This is Paul writing to the people in Philippi and he said to them I want to thank you that you have sponsored me. You know they sent some stuff to him. I'm sure they sent him some some food, they sent him some money, they just sponsored his ministry, helped him when he was in a certain place. And now he writes back and he says to them, listen, I'm so happy that you did this for me. I'm so happy that you cared for me. And now listen to what he says here. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. The word content there means independent of external circumstances. So what he actually is saying is, he says, listen, 
Yes, I was going to what he further calls affliction. I was going through a hard time. I was going through a place where I didn't have money. But I could always converse with you. My conversation with you in everything I always wrote to you and in what I say now was not in respect of want. Meaning that the want did not dictate his language, did not dictate his belief. The fact that he didn't have didn't cause him to believe certain things about God. And the fact that he should have wouldn't cause him to believe certain things about God. What he would believe about God was fully established in what Jesus Christ has done. And that is enough and that is all. Amen. I believe that when we, when we tap into this truth, you know, we would not need so many books on our bookshelves. We would not need 20 or 30 other things on, on, on how to change our life to have something better or the next breakthrough or those kind of things. When we can have the simple truth that I, that I preach every Sunday here, and that is looking at Christ as your life. You know, we will have such peace. You know, when it comes to marriage, let, let me just do this, and, and, and uh, for those, you know, I don't talk a lot about marriage and marriage counseling, those kind of things, but let me just mention some things here. Two, two halves, half whole people, can't make one whole marriage. And your partner cannot make you whole. It is impossible. It is impossible. And once two people that are discontent come together, you will find a list of rules completely or perfectly connected to the area of discontentment made the commandment or put as commandments towards the partner so that they could fulfill those, those, those uh, needs. And you will not find two people enjoying life in their relationship with God now living together enjoying their lives together it will be very difficult you know um, if people both of them aren't content already so the best thing that I can have for a successful marriage is to find and, and, and be serious about what God says about me to the point that I am happy with what I have and she is happy with what she has you know not even with what she has with who he is as her or who he is as me and from there we find that we easily do things for each other now I can see you know uh, Eliana would like a cup of coffee and now I make her the cup of coffee and the making of the cup of coffee is not the proof of love anymore it is just enjoying a cup of coffee. Yeah. Sitting, um, uh, uh, lying on two hammocks, you know, just enjoying sitting outside, you know, chatting to each other doesn't become the proof of love anymore. It just becomes sharing life together. And it is fun because both of us like it. And because she loves it, I love it. And because I love it, she loves it. And we start to do these things together. Now this might sound like la la land but I want to tell you this is the truth 
This is God's only truth. And the moment we live with this is only la la land, and that's the only way things can really work, I want to tell you we will never have true peace and joy. We will never have true peace and joy. What contentment brings in you is uh, uh, less of a my partner must, or my husband or wife must make me happy unto a place where Oh my goodness, I, because I am happy, there's something that flows out of me and out of the abundance I do and bless. And when two people are like that, together like that, we find a happy marriage. You know, should you, and let's talk about marriage a bit more. Let's say the husband finds his identity in how he provides for the wife. A husband should provide for his wife. But let's say he finds his identity in how he provides for the wife. The wife will have a nice car. The wife will have a lot of clothes, but she will not have a husband. Because he'll be busy working all the time. He'll be up at 6 in the morning, he'll come back at 8, and all that is done, he's worked himself half to death, for the purpose of providing for her, and once his identity is in that. Now listen, I've got no problem with somebody w waking up at five, working until eight. If that's what you do, and that's how it's worked out for you, that you can provide money, there's no other job, do it. Amen. But the moment your identity is in it, what's going to happen? You're going to come home, and now you're going to feel that I have done my part. And now you're going to sit with this expectation. And will she ever meet the need? No person can ever meet that need because it's law-based. It's law-based and you're just going to fight. But if the identity is not in what you do, I mean my identity is not in if I preach or not. But if I go to the United States or to Europe for six weeks and I come back, you know, then, he'll, then I don't sit there with, well, Helena must now... Uh, um, you know, do certain things and perform in certain ways because you know I've really worked hard, you know. No, no, I'm already fulfilled. Yeah. And if I come home, I, you know, she, she loves me. I love her. It's not, you know, it can happen this way. She could be looking after the kids for six weeks alone, plus running the office. And doing all those things, answering calls, being very, very busy. I come home after six weeks. If her identity is in what she's done, my identity is in what I've done. You know, she's going to expect me to do something because, you know, I've been working for six weeks alone with these kids. And I've been, and what's going to happen? We're just going to fight for, for the first week. It's not going to have any joy or any peace. So, when we listen to the gospel to the point that, I don't need that external confirmation. Then, a trip overseas becomes something completely different. Looking after the kids becomes something completely different. It's difficult to explain it in words, but what you experience in doing that changes. Look at the Apostle Paul, and I'm going to end off. It says, I don't speak in respect of want. So in other words, want does not influence my heart, therefore doesn't influence my speech so what it, what, it, what, what it was actually saying is is you can have a need without having a need he says I do have a need but I don't speak in respect 
of this need. So, yes, there is a want in my life. Yes, I need a job. Yes, I need more money. Yes, I need my husband to receive Jesus. I need my wife to receive Jesus. Yes, I want my children. I've got a need that my kids understand the gospel. Yes, I've got a, a, a need, a certain need. Okay? But, that does not mean, once you're in contentment, you will not sit with two needs. In other words, because I've got this need, I've got a need that God proves my righteousness by fulfilling this need. So you can have a need without really having a need in relationship with God. And that is what contentment is all about. It's not denying that you do have an external need. Paul acknowledged that he did have an external need. He even called it an affliction. I'm afflicted with this poverty. I don't have food, man. It is an affliction. But even in the affliction, he didn't have a need for the affliction to change. To have a confirmation that he is loved by God. I don't need Helena to love God and to receive grace and be the person that wherein love and joy and all those things manifest in order for me to know that God loves me. I don't need my child to, to have good marks in school and always be healthy to know that God loves me. And to have a life based on full acceptance between me and God. And wherein I know I'm accepted and I am loved. And that is what contentment is all about. No need for external confirmation. Now, does that mean we will not have the external confirmation? Let's see what Paul says here. Uh, um, I both know how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and all things I am instructed. Now that word instructed means to be initiated into the mystery. So what Paul says is, he says, I've been initiated, I've been introduced into a certain mystery. Therefore, I don't care if I have a lot or if I have little. I can do all things. In other words, what he's saying is, I can live in want without having a need to have that want, that want met as a confirmation that I am blessed and loved by God. In the very same way, he says, when I'm rich... I have learned and I have been uh, introduced into a mystery wherein the riches and the blessing is not seen as a confirmation of who and what I am. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Christ talks about the anointing, talks about grace. So he says, when I am enabled by God, when my life is born from what he says in his final word of my 100% equality with him, of his word of affirmation over my life, of how he smiles over my life, I've been introduced into a place where he wills in me, he wants in me, he thinks in me, with my brain, where we become so one, where, where we've, got, we've got this expectation of even being immortal, when I'm in that place, neither the abundance I have causes me to talk, neither the poverty I'm in causes me to talk. That word, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, has got no bearing to doing great exploits in building big churches, having great ministries, having successful business, or children that even serve God. Amen. That's not the context it's written in. The context it's written in is that through Christ, doesn't matter should my husband serve God, should my children serve God or not, 
I can even in that have the ability to have abundance of life because of one point of reference. That's what he's saying. Now, here was Paul living in want. Okay? He was living in want. Was his want met? Yes. Here he writes to the people in Philippi and say, Thank you that you did send towards my need. And my want is met. So what did Paul expect from God? What was his expectation? His expectation was what Jesus said. He says, listen, you know, your need shall be met. You will have a job, you know. Your child or your husband will have some time in life, some experience with God where he feels really touched by God. We obviously when it comes to salvation, those kind of things, God can't override somebody's will. You know, but there will be a place where, where God talks to him, where you can see really God has influenced this person's life. There will be a place where you see, but here is what we would call the breakthrough. You know, where this, this house we wanted to build is built, where my, my, my child, you know, his school was paid, or I could buy him new clothes, or whatever it was. We can see that that shall manifest. That's what happened to Paul here. Did he ha- was he in, 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 a, in a need? Yes. Was he in affliction? Yes. Was the need met? Yes. But that was not what it was all about. Because the meeting of the need is a given. It is a given. And we have made it in our life the end goal of our Christianity. Where it's a given. I will tell you, it's a given that God provides for you. It's a given that God speaks to you. It's a, gi- it's, it's a given. But what we've done is, we've made everything in the here and now, and we've got a supernatural expectation on when things would manifest, when our mind says, this must confirm my relationship with God. Because no person wants to live in rejection. Who wants to live in rejection? It's like the other day I spoke to a lady, she said to me, uh, uh, um, her husband wants to divorce her. He says, why can't you just send the thing right now and we can get divorced today? But she loves him. But she can't, uh, her heart waits so much and, and hates, or oh, this is the right word, her heart hates rejection so much that she says, why can't we just get it over and done with? Because I can't live in this thing on, when am I now going to be rejected? Is it today or tomorrow or when? That you want to hasten the process. So what happens to us when we live in grace and we hear the love of God and all those kind of things, we find that we are standing at a place where we don't need external confirmation. But when we live in that place, we say, we want the answer now. We want the answer now. Why do you want the answer now? Because it is an outflow. It's an emotion that is born from, well God, if you want to reject me, let's just get it over and done with. That's why you want the answer now. Or maybe you feel rejected and you can't wait for a day of acceptance. And now we've got this irrational way of thinking about things. I look at some of my pastor friends, you know, they will go and plant a church. And when they plant a church and they come with the message of grace, which is a very radical message, if you go to a place where it's very legalistic, and then find that the church doesn't grow to 300 in the first two, three years, you know, or in the first year, and then they feel, God, what's wrong with me? 
you know, all of a sudden it is, I need that confirmation. I mean, why do we preach? I mean, I plant a church in Malmesbury. Why do you plant that church? Very simple. So there can just be a place where people can come and hear grace. That's the reason. That's the, the beginning and the end of the whole thing. Nothing more. Nothing more. It's like Kentucky Fried Chicken. I mean, what is their vision? To see how many people they can get under a roof. No. That's not their vision. Their vision is not to see how many people they can gather. Their vision is to be a kitchen in town where people can come and eat. So, this fellowship and that fellowship, that's the only purpose. The purpose is not to see, can we fill this place up? Should it fill up? Glory to God. What's it going to mean to me? Should this fill up? All it means is that we will just have more people hearing it at one time in one building. That's all it means. That's all it concludes. It doesn't conclude anything other than that. Should nobody come? What does that conclude? That just concludes that nobody is listening to me on a Sunday morning. That's all. That's the end of it. And then we don't have a service and why will I drive here if there's nobody? So then I'd just rather stay at home. And I enjoy who I am then and I enjoy who I am now. In Christ. Because we don't need that external confirmation. External confirmation leads to abuse. That's what it does. If I need that, I will abuse you. I will tell you, you must come to church. I will tell you, you must give your money. I will, we will aim for a bigger place. Because that will be our vision. Because I need that external confirmation. Now, cognitively, I will not think that way. I will not cognitively say, well, I need to get this bigger, you know, so that I can feel good about myself. No, no. What will happen is I will have an inner will. I will have an emotion, a feeling that feels, let's make this bigger. But that feeling is born from a certain belief. If your external confirmation, I will say for people watching via the internet, if your external confirmation is signs, wonders and miracles, it could be that you start the healing ministry. Right there. Needing external confirmation. I'm not saying you couldn't have a healing ministry. What I'm saying is, and please hear, this is what I'm saying. I'm saying that it is possible that if you need external confirmation of the supernatural, that you will feel a voice in you telling you, go and preach this, that you can see more of this. And you can have a ministry started on discontentment. Not even guided by God, but guided in a need of external confirmation. Can we see signs, wonders and miracles? Of course we see signs, wonders and miracles. Do we expect that to happen? Of course, we are part of a kingdom wherein there is healing, wherein there is provision, wherein all these things are. We, are, we have a Father that cares for us. We've got a Jesus that carried our sickness and our disease. Should I, uh, you know, need financial confirmation to know, you know, because to know that I am the blessed of God? It might be that I am very vulnerable to teachings on tithing and sowing and reaping. To teach it and embrace it in my church. And my life will then not be born 
from who He is and from truth. And all of that in the name of Jesus. I know how to be abased. I know how to abound everywhere. And in all things I'm instructed. I've been introduced into the mystery of this contentment. I know how to be full. I know how to be hungry. Both to abound and both to suffer need. So, uh, so I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Notwithstanding, you have done well that you have communicated with my affliction. So, here Paul had a need. But the way in which he spoke to people about that gave to him could, it could even make them think that they, think that they did a wrong thing in providing for him. That's why he said there, you have done a, well, a good thing in giving to me. Do you see how free this man was? In that freedom, God still provides. And you see a very stable life. Paul says, yet, in the midst of all these things, we are more than conquerors. Nothing can separate me from the love of God. Nothing can have any voice on, does God love me or does He not love me? Nothing can have any voice and declare me as blessed or cursed anymore. Because I have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, which is Jesus. He is my blessing. If you can choose a Mercedes, or you can choose the resurrected Christ as your blessing, what would declare blessedness? Like I've said so many times, you know, when you get a new car, it's the blessing of God, and after 10 years, it's the curse of the devil. The very same car. Amazing. So here he comes, he says, even in Thessalonica, you sent to me once and again. So we see God always providing for Paul. And then this beautiful sentence, but my God shall meet all your needs according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Now, I saw something last night for the first time here. The need, he says here, all your needs will be met by God. Now I want to, that can be seen as all your needs, every business deal you need and those kind of things. It even talks about business in the Greek there. You know, all those needs can be met. But I want to go a step further. Even if you have the need to have a confirmation, that need can be met, not by the confirmation, but by Him bringing you the truth. For what we most of the time actually need is contentment. That's what we actually need. And the need that you have to be content, the need that you have to have long-suffering and peace, He can meet that need for you. He can meet that need for you. And the way He's going to meet that is by showering you with words of acceptance, washing your heart with affirmations of His goodness by pointing and reminding you, pointing you to and reminding you of what Christ has freely given you. The work of the Holy Spirit, we thought, was to do something supernatural so that we can feel accepted. Where the work of the Holy Spirit he does do that. But Jesus clearly says that when we receive the Spirit, He shall remind us of what we have freely received in Christ. My passion and my heart is to see a church where signs, wonders and miracles 
the supernatural and all those things happen and manifest in the God intended way. You know, not as a confirmation for something. You know, I've been to churches and, and uh, I just feel to speak on this because this is for the charismatic world as well where, <clears throat> where there is really outstanding science, you know, where they see gold dust fall from the sky, where they see diamonds fall. But I've, you know, and excuse me, and some I might have 50 friends after saying what I'm about to say, but the, the only point in the Bible, only scripture reference to gold dust in the Bible, was when Moses told the people, take this idol of yours and grind it to dust, put it in your water and drink it. Feed on this idol now. I don't see gold dust falling on the poor people in Zambia. But I see it falling on the rich in America and Canada. Why? Is it, could it be that you've idolized money so much that God says, have your idol now. If you need money to confirm this thing, have it then. Could it be? They're asking the question. Why does amongst the rich you see all these things that's always money orientated? And amongst the poor, you just see people accepting, hearing a simple grace. Now, like I said, I'm careful in saying this, you know. I'm asking a question. Could it be, if we test stuff by scriptures, you know, if it is a sign and a wonder and a supernatural miracle, what is the sign and the wonder saying? Those signs speak of something. It could mean that gold does fall from heaven. God's trying to persuade them that divinity fell on man. It could say that the, 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 the stones that fall on the ground could be God saying, you are my church. You are my church. It could say that as well. Or it could say, listen man, have the idol you want. You want confirmation as the idol. All the time. You want miracles as the confirmation. What about the verse that says, in that day there will be many that say to me, there will be those that say to me, Lord, have we not done miracles in your name? How can you say you don't know us? The person that would ask such a question is the person that believes a miracle is an affirmation that you know God. That's the person that would ask such a thing. If I would go and say to Jesus, Jesus said to me, Bertie, I don't know you. What's the first thing that I would say? I would say, but God, have I not preached your gospel? So in other words, the fact that I preach the gospel is my affirmation that my heart needs to say I know God. So I was saying, preachers knows God. And by preaching you know God. It's a life of discontentment. It brings you in a place of complete uh, 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 um, confusion wherein your life is not revolving around the truth. And I don't want to preach this and discourage people. But I just feel in my heart at the end of the day, we really want to experience the life is intended for us. I want to experience that life, you know. And I am experiencing that life. I mean, Leanna and I came back and we were on the plane and, and um, we were just talking to each other. We said, we said to each other, it's amazing how grace has made certain things common sense to us, which is not common sense 
to those that are not in Christ. Amen. So I, I just feel, you know, even in my ministry, and for those of you, you know, I've got people asking me back, you know, you've had a, you know, for those of you that don't know me uh, well, that don't know me from years ago, my ministry was focused on the supernatural. We've seen, I've seen over 25,000 miracles on the crusade, field, crusade fields of Africa. I've seen many people throw away their crutches, many deaf people hear, many blind people see. I've seen all those things manifest on those crusade fields. And to those people it was this confirmation of truth. You know, it, it was just something that they could see God confirming the word with signs, wonders and miracles. It was absolutely awesome what they needed. But I remember one day I was in Canada and uh, I preached there. And there was, a, a people were really chasing after the supernatural, you know, and that's why they even got me to go and preach there. And I wanted to communicate grace to them. And they were running after these miracles, you know. Even had a guy there, deaf, he was from the, um, fr from the uh, 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 Air Force, you know, and he was deaf and he was retrenched, completely deaf in his one. He had tests by the Air Force, deaf. We prayed for him, he went and had tests again. And he came with the results that he could hear. You know, so it was, and they loved those things, and that was what they were. So while I was preaching, I found some of them even dozing off. But when I said it's time for praying for the sick, it was like, Whoa! they want to see miracles. And I realized that what I'm doing by praying for the sick is I'm actually feeding the monster. And I remember said to them, I will not pray for any sick here again. I'm finished now. You pray self. Pray to God. I'll give you a gospel. You go home. You pray for yourself. Or you pray for each other after the service. But not even during the service. The focus here is understanding the gospel. Then unfortunately, I know not out of Dutch Reformed circles, but in the Pentecostal circles and the Charismatic circles, unfortunately we've made such a thing of miracles that a grace preacher to a certain extent must veer away from it because of the wrong understanding people have of the, of the stuff. Because it's just feeding the idol. That people can just hear the truth, believe the truth and from there see the supernatural which we believe in. I hope you understand what I'm saying. It's so important to believe this truth. To have this truth established in your hearts. Amen. Amen. I think I've preached too long. but uh, Hallelujah. Let us pray. Let us pray. I would like to pray even for people that are not feeling well today. If you don't feel well, you know, we are so much for the supernatural. Um, we are so much for, uh, you know, just having... Uh, provision in our lives um, maybe you're going through a hard time in your business maybe you feel that you know my identity is so much in what I have even when you prosper you know um, we would like to I would like to pray for you right now you know I'm not going to call you forward but I want to just pray for people right now even people watching via the internet I want to say this is a time when you can just say I just give this whole thing over to the truth that I've been hearing and um, this is the time where I'm just gonna, I'm just going to see God doing this supernatural thing for me and helping me to meet the need of con being content. 
And from there, see how He provides and cares for you. How all these things you start fall off and you see His provision. But where His provision is not His word about you. I would love to pray for you and, and just have this, this, this truth where you don't confuse His provision with His voice. Jesus is His voice. Father, I want to pray for every person in this, that congregated here this morning. I thank you, Father, that I can just stretch forth my hand towards them. And in the Spirit, we are absolutely one. And Father, as I stretch forth my hands towards them, I thank you for your supernatural resurrection power. Confirming your word with signs, wonders, and miracles. I thank you, Father, that we can boldly declare that their needs in the physical are met. I can declare that they will have that job manifest for them. I, I know that. And I thank you, Father, that who you are in person is so powerful that it completely overshadows and, 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 and covers this area of provision. And that I pray for them that their minds will fully go to rest in the fact that you will provide for them when they go out looking for a job, when they go out uh, uh, wanting a promotion and all those kind of things, when they go out uh, helping their children, the husband, husbands, wives, whatever the, the need might be. I thank you, Father, that their minds are so saturated with peace that you are their Abba, that they will not even ponder on those things. But I, I speak to them that they will have an enlightened mind wherein they can see the need for, content, for being content met by your overwhelming love, your overwhelming care for them and full acceptance for them in Jesus' mighty name. I declare that back problems are healed. I declare that, that a, a bad knee is healed. I declare that hip problems are healed. Any people that might, even cancer cells growing in them, that, it, that they are healed in Jesus' mighty name. And I want to pray for people via the television. I want to pray for church leaders watching me right now. Father, I thank you that I can stretch my hand towards that camera. And I declare over them that they will have wisdom in how to communicate this with their, with their church. I, will I pray they will understand that what you are trying to say to them. That we are not pleading poverty. We are, we are declaring our prosperity. But we define prosperity as having a life in contentment. Thank you for that Father wherein you provide and care for them. I thank you this gospel can go all over the world. And I thank you, Lord, that I will never, ever in my life feel as a success based on if the gospel reaches all people or not. But there's only one definition, and that is you. Thank you, Father. Amen and amen. amen. Glory to God. Thank you so much that you guys came. If you, got, if you want to give, you can give over there. Let's fellowship and have some coffee and tea together. God bless you.